I'm Laura Harper-Lake. And I'm Sarah Reitzman, and you're you're listening listening to Creative Guts. Hey friends, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Creative Guts. We're so happy to have you here. On today's episode, we're talking with Sarah Duclos, the founding artistic director of the Neoteric Dance Collaborative and the creator of Couch to Ballet. I'm so excited. I love dancing. So let's samba right on over into this episode of Creative Guts with Sarah Duclos. No, let's tango in. Let's cha-cha. Let's waltz in. Let's foxtrot in. (laughs) Let's Macarena in. Let's frolic in. <laughs> Let's boogie in. Let's jitter in. Let's hustle in. Let's disco in. Let's twist and shake in. Let's step. Did we say cha-cha slide yet? I we said definitely cha-cha. cha-cha slide in. We could slide cha-cha in. We could Cotton Eye Joe in. We could conga in. <laughs> We're done. Sarah, thank you so much for being on Creative Guts. I'm so excited to be here. We're so happy to have you, especially knowing that you're such a big fan of the show. I'm a giant fangirl. I've listened to every episode. (laughs) (laughs) What's been your favorite so far? Uh, Well. Ooh, on the spot. Ooh, that was. I I wasn't ready for that. Oh, no. Hard hitting questions right out the gate. Yep. Well, I got to say that the Matt Wyatt episode really, like, really pulled me in. But I also have to say that I know a lot of the people that you interview and it's been super fun for me to find things out about these people that I didn't know. And in that (laughs) case, I would say the Lynette Miles episode. Because I know Lynette from the theater world, but um, I did not know she was in a Pepsi commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Which I really wanted to Google immediately, but I was driving when I was listening. So I think we ended up posting it on our Facebook page, but if we didn't, we really should. We we did look at it. I don't know if we... We did. We watched it. Yeah. I still can't find the other one. She was in like a CVS commercial or Aid or something or Walgreens and we can't find it. It's so good. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm imagining <laughs> that it's so good. <laughs> She's cute as a button. I love she Lynette. is pretty darn cute. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about you as a creative. Oh, well, <laughs> where to start? Yikes. <laughs> Let's see. Well, you do uh, a lot. Uh, yes. Yes. I absolutely do a lot. Most people know me as a dancer, but I am a choreographer and a dance teacher. All of those things lumped together. (laughs) But I also do theater and I sing. And those are the things that I tend to have less time for. So when people see me in a musical or they see me out singing with friends, they're like, oh, my God, do close. You can sing. You can act. I had no idea. And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, I know. (laughs) It's because I usually spend most of my time cheering leading for dance on the seacoast so you know that's what I that's what I get wrapped up as is the dance girl but that's fine I'm happy to be all of the things it's just a little surprise when the other things come around that's very cool (laughs) we also just learned that you knit too I do knit yes um I've been knitting since I was in my early 20s I well 
I learned to knit from my grandmother <laughs> when I was eight years old. Okay. And as soon as she left me alone with the needles, I promptly threw them across the room at the wall <laughs> and was like, F- this. Um, <laughs> because what a sassy eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely did not say that to my very strict Catholic grandmother, but I I must have thought something equally equally damning. Whatever whatever my eight-year-old version of that was. Um, this I is was going to be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. no can I t- actually just can I tell you the first time that I ever swore in front of a adult figure in my life was in front of my mother when I was 22 years old and <laughs> I had a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and I went to sip it and the top wasn't quite on and it spilled all down the front of my chest and I went, oh shit. <laughs> and, and immediately looked at her like I was going to get executed. Like, and she goes, Sarah, you're 22 years old. You can swear in front of me. You can say <laughs> It's fine. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm, I've leveled up. I'm an adult. Oh gosh. Not to mention yes. the fact that that was a perfectly reasonable reaction to yeah. a disaster. Right? right? But, you know, I yeah. it was very nerve wracking for me. <laughs> this is getting off to a great start. <laughs> um, so, anyway, knitting. <laughs> Gave it up when I was eight, started again in my 20s, and outside of music and theater and dance, I'm really into anything that I would just sort of label under, like, homesteading skills. Like, I really like knitting and embroidery and sewing and canning things and cooking. My mom was a professional chef and I grew up like with my hands in dough. So food is super creative to me. Um, Yeah. So it just doesn't stop. I'm always busy with something. That's really cool. So you're just sort of like head to toe creative and always sort of doing something creative. I try to be. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so tell us about, do you pronounce it Neo? Neo. Okay. Yes. So for like, for short. For short. short. Yes. The word is Neoteric. The Neoteric Dance Collaborative. That is correct. Yes. Yes. Uh, Neo is a multidisciplinary project-based dance company that I started when I was at UNH and I actually started out at another university. I went to Radford University for a year and a half, and I started out as a music education major and not a dance major because teenage Sarah was like very, very serious. And basically anything that anyone said to me was gospel truth. And this is terrible. But my dad made this offhand comment to me when I was 15 years old and he was joking, but I took it as serious. And he said to me, well, if you go to school for dance and I'm not paying for you to go to college. And he was joking, but immediately (laughs) very gravely serious. 15 year old me was like okay I meant I now must choose a secondary career <laughs> what else am I good at I am good at music teaching is a respectable profession that my parents will pay for my education 
Therefore, I will go into music education. And I was also a dance minor while I was there, but wasn't dancing as much as, I mean, I grew up dancing like 24 to 30 hours a week every single wow. day um, and it went down to taking like three dance classes a week and was so miserable and depressed and all of the things that happen to you when you go to college happened to me like I fell in love and then I fell out of love and I was 800 <laughs> miles from home and September 11th happened at the start of my wow. sophomore year and I had to fly through the airport yeah, I had to fly through Dulles to get home. And so, like, heartbreak, sad, blah, 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 I basically was failing out of school. And my parents were like, you can come home and go to UNH or you can stay there and try for one more semester. And my first you know, defiant 19-year-old self was like, I'm staying here. I have a life here with my apartment and my 19-year-old friends who are <laughs> my whole existence. And, and then my older sister, who's like 12 years older than me, was like, what the f*** are you doing? <laughs> you look like you need to come home. Just come home. But also, stay, so I ended up coming home to UNH, and but also being still kind of very responsible. I knew that my parents, my dad is a business owner, and you know we're middle class. And in order for me to start over in a conservatory program like I would have wanted to go to, I would have had to give up all of my credits. Nothing would have transferred. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to go to UNH, and I'm going to make the best of this and take all my gen eds, and we'll see where I end up. Surprise, surprise, I ended back in the theater and dance department and um, had some enjoyable experiences there and had some not enjoyable experiences there. And the not enjoyable bit for me was I was given a ton of choreographic opportunity at the studio I grew up in when I was a young kid and I didn't realize how special that was. And the dance program at UNH had two student choreographer showcases per year, and it was a three-minute cutoff. <laughs> so you could make a three-minute piece, which was basically a pop song, you know, and they would cut your music. Like, if it was... I tried to sneak in one that was, like, 3.07, and we were still dancing, and the music cut. They were just like, nope, wow. you can do no more than this. And I don't think that it's like that anymore. I think that it's evolved a little bit, but... I was really leaning towards choreography and I wanted to do more and I recognized that there was a group of students around me who were really interested in doing more as well. So I thought, well, I'm bored. I'm going to start a company. I don't know how to do that. But <laughs> while you were in college. Yes. That's beautiful. Yes. Damn, girl. I yeah. love it. Yes. Um, um, some people loved it and, you know, some of the faculty members were like, you're a head. <laughs> You think you're better than us because you're a 20-year-old. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that they've come around. Um, they, they, they're nice to me when they see me, at least. Yeah. Um, so I basically gathered up all of the, the most talented kids in the department, and we had departmental activities going on Monday through Saturday, but Sunday was a free day. And I blocked off all the Sundays in the studio for us and was like, we're producing a show off campus and we're going to do our own thing. And Sunday is Neo's day. So we would take over 
the studio and we rehearsed for months and months and we produced a show off campus in Rochester, which is formerly Arts Rochester. Now it's Studio 109 that's there in the Gonic Mills. That's where Neo's very first show was. It was called Neo Pop with an exclamation point. And <laughs> oh, fun fact, there is a tea named after us at Teetotaler <gasps> called Neo Pop, which you can go and drink. And it's very delicious. Shut <laughs> up. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> we need to go have that. I know, right? That's adorable. It so, is. It's a red blend. It's a royal with some fruit and lemon verbena. It's very fruity. It is both delicious, hot, and iced. So, Did you have any say, just out of curiosity? I did, (laughs) yes. We were part of the design process and talking about, we had a a ton of sample flavors that we tried as a dance company. We all sat around my dining room table at the time and we sipped this and that and we were like, "Mm, no, mm, yes. And um, (laughs) What was really funny, I feel bad for this, the gal who put the tea blend together. She doesn't work for Teetotaler anymore, but at the time she brought over a white blend and I hate white tea. Like, I just think it tastes like you're licking a tree and it's just... And she goes, I really just thought that this spoke to the character of your company and I was like, I hate it. (laughs) Anything but this. Tree root trash. (laughs) Sorry for anyone out there who really likes white tea, but it's just not my jam. (laughs) Sort of like a note to self, if enough people mention Teetotaler and Emmett, his episode could be just like all callbacks to like earlier episodes. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) The story of Emmett Soldati as told by the entire (laughs) Seacoast. I love it. When you reached out to us, you wrote that you are a passionate advocate for dance, making dance accessible for all and using dance as a medium to express ideas, call others to social action and as a tool to build better communities. I want to dig into every single part of that statement, including like, let's talk about accessibility and let's talk about like expressing ideas and let's talk about social action and how dance can build better communities. Yes. Wow. Uh, We don't even need to ask any more questions. We're done. Let's just like let her know. That'll fill a good 30, 40 minutes. (laughs) Yes, my questions are out the door. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, let's, let's talk about accessibility first. So I used to work for Boston Ballet, which was a very exciting turn for me in my dance career because when I was a kid, I really wanted to dance for a company like that. But dancing for a company like that means that you're like an Olympic style athlete. Like it's even though I was a good dancer and very talented, it's for the chosen few. And I had a teacher tell me something really great when I was going through a frustrating moment you know, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And he said, you know, he said, you're going to, I was on the verge of quitting. And he said, you know, you can't quit dance because you have the eyes of a choreographer. You're a really good teacher already. And you are going to find a place for you. And that place is probably not going to be American Ballet Theater or Boston Ballet, but you're going to find a place and that's important. And I always repeat that story to my students because it's so true. And I think that anybody that studies dance, particularly classical ballet, 
because your medium is your body, it's so easy to just put the horse blinders on and forget forget that you're a human and that you have so much to offer the world and it just it it's not wrapped up in how you look or how talented you are and that if you're not making that olympic echelon leap you know that's okay that's fine and part of that part of the problem of that is in the dance industry it's a very niche industry it's one of the It is the most underfunded performing art in the United States because I think that culturally people don't get it. You know, the United States is not a country that embraces dance. There are many reasons for that. This podcast could be many, many episodes, (laughs) but just in brief, you know, there's a stereotype that dance isn't manly, that somehow it's associated with homosexuality. And basically in the U.S., if you're a man and you're not being manly, then you're not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. I think that that's a huge barrier. I also think that there are economic barriers, too, especially when you're looking at classical ballet kind of falls in with opera and symphony. There are financial barriers for people to understand that art form and enjoy it. There's also a lot of colonialism in the history of that too. And companies are just now trying to unpack that. So, you know, it's got a lot of stuff going along with it. So I was very lucky to grow up in this super cool youth company, which doesn't exist anymore, Ballet Theater Workshop. And it was in Portsmouth. And before that, I danced at Ballet New England, which also does not exist anymore. So sad. Yes. So this is this and this is part of the roots of my story because I got the job at Boston Ballet. That was thrilling to me because I was like, oh, I'm I'm, you know, dancing. I'm I'm teaching at a place where I wanted to dance and I'm not dancing here, but I'm working here in another capacity in childhood dream achieved check boop. And when I got that job, I thought I was going to work there for the rest of my life. I was ready to settle in and just be there for the long haul. And four years in, I was working in the community and educational initiatives department and working with populations that were defined as socioeconomically challenged, not having great access to art, et cetera, et cetera. Schools that were really tough. I was doing programs in um, underperforming public schools in Boston and bringing ballet to them. And it, that in itself was very tough work mm. and takes a very special person to do that. I think that I'm so glad for that experience, but and I'm so glad that there are people that can make careers out of that, but doing that kind of work long t- term was not for me because I 
am too empathetic a person and I would take all of their stories home with me and just want to cry in a puddle (laughs) and die (laughs) and feel like, you know, the little tiny like offering of dance that I brought to their classrooms was not making a dent in their day, which I'm sure it did for some of them, but it's a lot to take on. So there was that and I was kind of feeling a need for a change. There was stuff going on in my life as well that was calling me home to the seacoast. And I was looking around and this is like, so I got my job at Boston Valley in 2009, right after the economic crash. So like literally right after like January 2009, I I interviewed in December. I got fired from me and Ollie's bakery. Because I, the only time I have not had a dance job was the six months after I left Ballet New England and like the six months that I worked at Boston Ballet and I was working at me and Ollie's and was just like, dance is too hard. It's I'm fine. I'm going to be a baker. <laughs> and, then, and then the economy crashed and they were like, you are the last one in the door. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then Boston Ballet called and were like, come work for us. And I couldn't believe it. Um, so but as I was working there and doing work down in Boston and making all of these programs happen, I was seeing Bally New England eventually fold. So that's a company that I grew up in. Bally Theater Workshop was long gone. And the music hall was striving to keep its doors open. Dance is very cost prohibitive to produce. Suddenly there was like a little less dance and a little less dance and a little less dance on their season. And kudos to them. They are alive and thriving as an organization. But I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm that came together that really dented the dance community in the seacoast. And also there was a gap in leadership. So when these companies that I grew up with closed and those dancers and professional dancers went to other places to get work, to get paying work, everybody who really was deeply invested in the community that were my age, were like in college still, just out of college, getting their first big person job and didn't really have the skills to come back and do anything. So I was getting really itchy for a change by the time 2012 rolled around. And so much so that I moved to Dover and commuted into Boston thinking, you know what, maybe I just need to live here. And that'll make things better. It did not make things better. <laughs> I it's like five hours round trip oh. every day, no matter if I was in the car or on the train. And it was just terrible. And so finally, I was just like, you know what? I need out. I need a job where I can pay my bills. But maybe Neo, this thing that's always been a side project, can be a vehicle for me trying to be this vehicle for me to breathe a little life into the seacoast dance scene. And that's when a job opened up at Phillips Exeter Academy teaching part time. It was a 50 percent pay cut. Woo. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to do that. 
and work on Neo for free 60 hours a week. <laughs> Beautiful. Good life decision. Yes. It was solid at the time. It's great. <laughs> so this big, long journey home, I came home and Neo had existed in many iterations since I started it at UNH. And when I lived down in Boston, we actually rehearsed at Boston Ballet Studios for free, which was wild oh. and awesome. Yeah. So cool. And performed in festival circuits, mostly around Massachusetts, but also in Maine and Connecticut and Vermont and New York City. Um, So we did the festival thing and we kind of showed our faces all around. But we're just kind of popping up and performing. We weren't doing doing any like community engagement or audience building or things like that. But when I moved home, I had all these lovely skills from my job at Boston Ballet and was like, right, we're going to bring dance to the community. The stage that I grew up on, the music hall, is wildly cost prohibitive. I cannot perform here. There aren't a lot of stages that are safe for dancers to dance on. So what am I going to do? Well, we're going to collaborate with other arts organizations to try and reach new audiences. So the collaborative piece of Neoteric has really turned into working with people like Seven Stages Shakespeare Company, working with artists who work in other mediums like Johnny Pfeiffer, and his jazz, rambling jazz family (laughs) that we've done events with. Um, Painter Roger Goldenberg worked a ton with Catherine Stewart, who I know that you share an affinity with and love. She's (laughs) so great and one of my favorite collaborators. So, yeah, and, and basically... You know, if anybody said, hey, we need dancers for this event, will you do it? I said, yes. Yes, we will do it, Um, which is how we ended up doing things like working with Nate Higgins, who now works at 3S, but at the time with his Red Light series at Seacoast Repertory Theater, we did an interpretive dance where we were the nothing from the never-ending story while (laughs) the the, um, real-life childlike empress was a special guest to be interviewed after the real it was the let's be real series and she came out on stage from we the were, actress from the movie yes holy cow yes. um who a fun fact so um her name is tammy stronach and um she was lovely and delightful but she grew up to be a dancer like a legit modern dancer (laughs) (laughs) I think she teaches at Marymount Manhattan College and I looked up I looked her up of course I creeped on her online (laughs) was like oh no she's like a real dancer and she is going to be stepping out to this dance company who rehearses once a week doing an interpretive dance to the nothing while Nate Higgins sings in drag the never-ending story. (laughs) And my guess is she loved it. She loved it. She was totally (laughs) gracious, but I did have a moment of like, oh my God, she's going to think that this is just like, where, what has my life become? (laughs) Walking out of a stage in New Hampshire this movie I did when I was 12. (laughs) These dancers dancing around like the smoke. Oh my gosh. But she was totally lovely about it. My, My fear were completely unfounded. (laughs) Um, So that's been a way that we've connected with new audiences who maybe did not necessarily 
have any other exposure to dance before. And then we, after, and that was sort of like momentum building for us. And we started producing our own events. So the first thing that came along was caffeine and choreography, which was a collaboration with teetotaler tea house early, early days, like in the old location, in the old location. Yes. (laughs) We did. The old location was so small that we did our photo shoot for this event there, but we did not do the actual event there. We did it at soul city dance in, Summersworth and teetotaler would bring their farmer's market set up to the studio. We would charge $10. You would get coffee or tea and got to sit down and basically the way it's, it's an interactive look at how dances are made. And my thought behind that from an education perspective was most of us who are lucky to have basic art education in public schools are exposed to things like, you know, what does a music staff look like? What's a color wheel? They're ex- exposed to plays through literature. You know, pro- most people have had the luxury of at least reading one Shakespeare play or Moliere. It's like built into the curriculum. But dance has all of these parallel geniuses who have contributed to the art form and have, you know, also responded to history in the same way and were part of these movements and they're just not covered at all. So caffeine and choreography takes the tools that we use to make dance and makes them explicit in kind of like this Ted talky way. So I do the talking, the dancers dance around me and I'm like, right, this is levels in space, low and medium and high. And the dancers all strike poses at those different levels so that you can visually understand this tool that I'm talking about. We do some works in progress, um, like, little clips of dances one to three minutes at most and then at the end we do something called people's choice where you get to as an audience member vote for the dance that you want to see again but you have to enact changes to it from what you've just learned (laughs) and then watch us do it on the fly and then we try to figure it out and we perform it again you know using the audience's choreography so it's got so, an improv element. It does have an improv element to it. <laughs> sometimes it goes better than others. <laughs> we, there, among the neo dancers, there is a one time we were talking about doing things in retrograde, which means just doing a movement backwards. So if I were to extend my arm out, the retrograde would be pulling it back into my body. And the audience, we had this like kind of dubstep hip hop piece that we did for a Seven Stages Shakespeare collaboration. It was I actually sent you a clip of of this. Oh, good! It's a re- it's a rehearsal <laughs> where the fairies, who were like these dark dubstep ladies, um, are putting Titania to bed with this like dubstep lullaby, and it like had all these body rolls in it and like pops and stuff. And the audience member was like. Yeah, that opening part. Can you retrograde that? And we're like, uh, we'll try. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, what it turned into was like a really like cool looking dance into like a terribly like robotic backwards (laughs) awkward hip hop dance. It was not cute. (laughs) That's awesome that you did it. Yeah, we did it. We did it. So caffeine choreography is one of the programs that we do light 
you know, small price point working with a local business, um, which is something that I'm really into promoting, you know, local, cool local businesses that are doing amazing things. And now Teetotaler is like a totally different company, all because of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> and it's amazing and works very hard. Uh, it's really about me. <laughs> 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 but seriously, um, so so that's one of the things that we did, and and we took the first season of caffeine and choreography to create dances for Let's Dance, which is another program that we do, which filled a need in the community, and it that came about because. For two reasons. One, because my friend Rhiannon Duke, who is my best friend's little sister and a longtime neo dancer, I actually taught her <laughs> when she was little. Like, we go way back. I've Aww. known her since she was nine years old. But she and I really wanted to have, like, kind of a Mad Men soul party. And at the time... And we used to have epic dance parties at our friend Amberly's house, another neo dancer who always <laughs> somehow in like Portsmouth Kittery before things got really crazy with housing, somehow managed to score these like incredibly huge apartments that were perfect to like set up a DJ booth and just throw <laughs> down like modern dance style, like with a whole bunch of dance people. But Unfortunately, they did not have the cool apartment anymore. Nobody had like enough room to have this dance party. So we were just like, oh, someday we've got to have this like soul party. And then it turned into, well, why don't we just make that an event? <laughs> because <laughs> there were so few places to social dance at the time in mm -hmm. Portsmouth. You know, the gaslight was gone for a while because it right. burned down. We used to go dance at the Red Door, which was very, very small. Go to yeah. reggae night. Yeah. Oh, miss reggae night so much so that leaves you with like the top floor of fat bellies yeah, yeah. yeah. and and the other thing for us too and and many dancers experience this like when we go out we go to dance you know and also many of the dancers in neo are at times in our lives where we're either in committed relationships or we're married like we do not go to get hit on <laughs> And, but inevitably, like, the call of the booty is real, and, like, <laughs> people just flock to us, and, and, and it's like, okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I am just, like, this is a girl's night, you know? <laughs> We're, like, standing around our pocketbooks and our shoes, as Dane Cook used to say, you know? I know what I did. I immediately just, thought yeah. of Dane Cook. Yeah. Just. I met him on my 21st birthday, by the way. That's a whole Shut other story. <laughs> Is dressed very scandalously. <laughs> is in love with him. Uh, but anyways, you know, so we were like, well, we wanted to create a space where people could dance and feel safe and not feel like it was the meat market. You right. know, we wanted to take it out of that element. And then it really solidified for me because we were, ch I was chatting with my friend Jeremiah, who is an artist and a incredible jazz pianist and, but very blunt person. <laughs> and I was blabbing away about dance as I do to everyone that I meet. <laughs> and he just says to me out of the blue, I would never pay money to go see a dance concert. <laughs> and I was like, 
<laughs> this was right before we were supposed to have a delightful day with a bunch of our friends going apple picking. We had literally parked <laughs> at the apple orchard and we're walking. And I was like, you know, Leslie, nope. Like, I'm going to hang on to this, like, beautiful day. But what do you mean? <laughs> you would never pay money to go see a dance concert. How can you be friends with me and say these things? <laughs> P.S. He probably face. has no idea that I, like, <laughs> deeply ingrained this conversation. He does now. So- <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I tried not to, like, get angry and, like, pull my face off Beetlejuice style and We're say, chucking what? A- chuck yeah. an apple at yeah. him. Right here. <laughs> an apple thing. <laughs> right? Oh Seriously. So I, you know, collected myself and I said, well, why do you feel that? Please tell me. <laughs> With such composure. And and thinking that it would make it better, but it actually made it worse. Briefly, he goes, well, it just, it's pretty and everything, but I don't get it. I I just don't think it's a relevant art form to modern times. And I was like, I hate you. But, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So then it became my inner, like, demon goal to get Jeremiah to pay for a ticket to go see one of our shows and I knew that while Jeremiah may not have had an affinity for concert dance at the time he sure did love going social dancing and he also loved soul music and I was like great you have now become my ideal customer avatar to pull some business (laughs) out and we are going to get you to pay to go see the show and guess who showed up in his blue suede shoes and threw down some money Jeremiah I love the like sheer perseverance that it took to be like, this person doesn't like me. And so therefore I am going to like craft this thing just for them and target them directly. It's one of the most real life Leslie Nope things I've ever. (laughs) Yes. Who I have an affinity with too. So I admire that. I would do that too. But here's the thing about dance. People have traumatizing experiences with dance, whether it was in the dance studio when you were little, if you had a dance teacher, or if you see something that you just know you don't get it because you've never been exposed to it before. But what I think is the shame that happens with dance that doesn't happen with other art forms is like, People will go and see a dance show that they don't like and they will never go see a dance show again. And to me, that's like going into a record store and listening to something and going, well, f*** music. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right? Absolutely. But that's that's kind of like what I'm dealing with. Like you know? going to a concert and then never going to a concert ever like, again. Man. You're like, I didn't I didn't like that concert. Therefore, all music sucks. All music sucks. Fascinating. Like, and, and I really do think that that's the case and, and have talked about that with multiple groups of people. And they're like, yeah, you're you're right. Yeah. I, I had that crappy dance experience and I never went back. So a lot of what Neo is trying to do is bringing dance into untraditional spaces, lowering the price point, making it relatable, not making them sit in the dark for two hours and looking at something that they don't understand. So at Let's Dance, you pay a cover just like you're going to a club and you get to like social dance and boogie down. At the start of the evening, we have a dance lesson where we 
basically create our own line dances. It's like the Neo version of the electric slide. Or So we create our own line dances, which are super easy and community friendly. We teach it to everybody at the beginning of the night. Then every half an hour, we take the floor and we show up and dance. So it's like a built-in break for people to like grab a glass of water, sit and watch, grab a beverage. And then at the end of the night, instead of making it about us, it's let's dance together. Mm. And we bring back that dance lesson material and we say, okay, this is our finale. Come dance with us. You is all this know this dance. That's like happening currently. I want to do it. Is it like tomorrow? <laughs> like, <laughs> so uh, we are not doing any let's dances currently. We have done two iterations of it. So we've done let's dance soul edition and we've done let's dance eighties edition, which I was at. You were at three S Art Space yes! five five years ago. Holy crap! I can't believe that was five years I ago. I was sitting on this, waiting to say it. Oh my god! Um, it was one of the first. Out my boyfriend and I, my husband now, but boyfriend then. <gasps> you got we married because dating. of Let's Dance, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> yes. Taking credit again. Yeah. I dressed up kind of as like Cindy Lauper a little bit. and Shut your face. And uh, he was kind of dressed like Marty McFly a little bit. Oh my gosh. That makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, yep. That makes me so happy. I'm so glad that you were, did, were you there for the whole night? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, well, was there a learn how to dance part in the beginning cuz we missed that if there, there was. There mm. was. But we but we saw you guys dance <laughs> periodically like every half hour or so. Okay, <laughs> can I tell you? So, that performance, one of the most I think special moments of my entire like choreographic life happened and I don't know if you witnessed it, but in Let's Dance, right, it's a little bit kitschy and, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek and very fun, but we always try to sneak, like, one kind of serious dance in there. We're like, okay, this is fun in games, but this is the serious number. This is, like, the <laughs> real dance, right? Um, and we did this piece that was uh, to Don't Give Up by Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush. And it was like our slow, serious piece. It was like 11 o'clock at night when we performed it. So it was getting later in the evening. And for me, um, the thing that I was thinking of when I choreographed that dance is I was thinking about refugees in Syria. And so there was all of this like slow motion, like moving across and like the dancers supporting each other. And it was just really on my mind. And I thought, you know, this is like, let's dance 80s edition and everybody's going to be lit and drunk, but I really just need to have like my social justice moment and sneak this in and wear shiny unitards and nobody's going to know what this piece is about. But I, I feel like I need to choreograph this right now. And it was four days after the shooting in Paris at the rock show. Oh, man. And the dancers, and I didn't dance in the piece. I was watching on the side, and the dancers were leaving it on the floor. And you could hear a pin drop in there. Like, everybody was holding their beer and just, like, watching so intently. Like, these dancers, like, help each other up and, like, go across. And when the dancers started going off and, like, supporting each other, somebody in the audience shouted, Vive la France. And then people like started clapping and were like, yeah, like, and I just oh. burst into tears because even though, and, and that's, that's kind of the beauty of, you know, 
art is completely subjective. It's the eye of the beholder, right? And I was thinking about another social situation where people needed to support each other to get each other through, but that audience member had Paris in their mind and just shouted it out. And I... That is one of the most special performance moments I think I've ever witnessed. I I just, uh, I'm so happy that you were there. I don't know if you saw that, but I was dying on the sidelines when that happened. <laughs> I have a bunch of photos from that night. <laughs> I do have a bunch of photos. Yeah. I love That's Rhiannon, who I was talking about earlier. Would you say of- like five years ago and you're just like, oh, here, let me here. pull them up. <laughs> well, I, it, that's why I was uh, looking at my phone for a good few minutes there. Uh, but this was us. That is oh amazing. my gosh! Look how that cool night. you look. Look at your eyeshadow. Yeah, it's incredible. It was crazy. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh! So that is Rhiannon, who I was talking about earlier, and <laughs> um, how crazy is that? And she did a duet with her best friend from high school and ballet school all the way through. They're still best friends today. They choreographed a dance together to "You Make My Dreams Come True" by Holland Oates, and it is the funniest. Thing it was in the adorable. Entire oh my world. gosh! <laughs> and it like that night was so awesome. Like I took a ton of pictures because it was so awesome, and it really did mean you know something to me. So uh, it's so cool. So like when when uh, we booked your episode, I was like, oh, I have a limited experience, but I do have some experience with that. And though it was a long time ago, I had to photograph it. It's in my Instagram. Oh it's my like, super it's cool. a little piece of my life, you know? That's so my cool. heart is like expanding out of my shirt right now. <laughs> like the Grinches. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody loves dance. <laughs> I think that events like let's dance build community around dance because they're like little pop-up communities too and how often in your adult life do you get to like boogie with a bunch Mm of right people (laughs) you know so that sometimes it's longer impact things that we're looking for but sometimes it's just like let's have a community right now this is it yeah 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 so that's you know kind of the ethos behind let's dance or the other thing that I do is Wednesday wake up, which I don't know if you found that in your stocking travels <laughs> in your research. Um, so I started Wednesday wake up about a year ago, and it was inspired by a professor that I had at UNH, Sarah Marshner, who I was in her intro to theater class, which was a gen ed lecture class, huge class, like bunch of football players sitting way in the back. <laughs> like we're in intro to theater and we're sitting back here. And this tiny woman walked into class with a boombox on her shoulder <laughs> and slams it down and goes, This is a lecture class, but we do theater warm ups every day. Everyone stand up. We're doing Follow the Marshner. And she hits play, and it's Jump by Van Halen. And this, like, (laughs) four-foot-tall woman just, like, starts flailing. Do what I do. Like, doing huge hula hips. Like, getting down. She's, like, 50. We're like, what? I was instantly smitten. Like, this is the best lecture I've ever been to in my life. I'm ready. I'm ready. So, yeah, I was instantly smitten by this woman. And in my teaching practice, I often will bring back Follow the Marshner. Like, I'll just turn on a piece of wild music and go, okay, do what I do. Let's do it. So I had the idea of doing that on Instagram. 
to go live every Wednesday at 9.15 in the morning and put on some song and go, okay, you've just arrived at work if you lived on the East Coast. You're checking your emails. You're not doing shit. Stand up at your desk and like, let's get down. You should have your board of directors do it. Um, the one Wednesday of the month that you have a meeting. My meetings do happen to be at that time. I I know for a fact that the New Hampshire State Council of the Arts has all done it together, which is super fun. Um, I love that. It makes me really happy. <laughs> but I want to do it now. People people have it. tuned in all over the world to do it. However, some locals have said, "Can you turn this into a class?" So again, I went to teetotaler thinking public space. Um, the long-term goal is maybe I can get it funded through arts and healthcare grants mm. by doing some open cardio where you don't have to pay. It's dance by donation. You know, I did it for seven weeks. I think I made $20 total, <laughs> but whatever, it's fine. Yeah. You know, somebody, CJ, my buddy that I brought up earlier, he actually told me something really great. I don't know if he stole it from somewhere or made it up, but he said, you know, you do one for the feels, one for the real and one for the meal <laughs> and, and, and Wednesday wake up is definitely for the feels and I'm not getting rich or eating off of Wednesday wake up nor is it furthering my dance career professionally in any manner because I'm dancing like a tool <laughs> it's not serious at ever usually it ends up being like the the kind of jazz that my dance teachers would their heads would pop off if I did that when I was a kid and I'm like yeah let's do some sexy shoulders and hips and like do that and you know walk like Barbie um it's great it's awesome it's everything that I wasn't allowed to do and in a conservatory style setting so I did a seven-week residency at teetotaler I kind of expanded the model to make it into like a full-fledged free community dance class and then at the end you have the option to go on camera with me and go live with a bunch of people from all over the world um which I didn't it does not have a huge audience, but I do know that there are people tuning in from like France and Germany and England and who pop in and say hello, which is really fun. So it's on hiatus right now. I'm taking a little break because it was super intense to do seven weeks solid, but I'm probably going to bring it back to teetotaler again, which I hope so. I haven't talked about that with Emmett. Whoa. Emmett, <laughs> if you're listening, I'm probably going to bring that back. You're just going to let me. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So yeah, there's so much building building community. <laughs> Let me get to social justice. So another thing that my dance company has been involved with over the years is One Billion Rising and also V Day. So V Day is an international movement to stop violence against women and girls, and it was started by Eve Ensler, who wrote the Vagina Monologues. And V-Day usually takes place in February to correlate with Valentine's Day. The other V-Day. The other V-Day, <laughs> yes. The, the less socially important V-Day. <laughs> and she um, makes makes the rights to the vagina monologues really, like, really easy to access. I think any theater company anywhere can pay $25. You don't even have to be a theater company. You can just say, I'm going to put on the vagina monologues. Here, I've paid my $25 fee. You go on and enter international map. You can see where people are doing them all over the world. And usually people do them to raise money for organizations like Haven in their communities to 
stop violence against women and girls and also other people. So because Haven definitely serves men as well. So I got wrapped up in that as an actress and was asked to do one of the monologues for years. So that was put on by Back Alley Productions, which is run by Joy Smith and Danica Carlson. Danica now works over at Rochester Performing Arts Center. So at the time, they ran a theater company together, Back Alley, and Joy produced it for 10 years Two years in, I did the monologues for two years, and going into the third year, she said, what would you think of Neoteric doing a dance as like a, in place of a monologue? Oh, Why don't you God. create something original and we'll just stick it in? You know, nobody in V-Day will ever know, and well, now they do. <laughs> <laughs> Eve Ensler, if you're listening. <laughs> Sorry about that. So... So we created an original dance. All of the Neoteric ladies really loved the experience, wanted to do it again. And the next year, we created a new piece, and Joy had been doing it for 10 years. And when she started out, she was just someone who was really passionate about the work. She worked as a florist and was doing dabbling in theater. And... She didn't really have involvement with Haven, which at the time was SAS. Then she became a volunteer advocate, and then she got hired <laughs> to coordinate all of the advocates. So domestic violence and sexual assault became her everyday life and her work wow. through that volunteer and fundraising experience. And she needed her theater experience to be something else. So at the 10-year marker, she wanted to retire the fundraiser and... All of the neo ladies were like, "We've only been doing this for two years. What do you mean? <laughs> you can't, you can't make this go away." But there's a parallel movement called One Billion Rising, which is dance-based action, where it's supposed to be one billion ri people rising and dancing against violence, and it's the largest mass action known to men and women all oh. in the world. Um, so they they made like a flash mob dance that they put out on YouTube, and there are people who dance that dance all over the world every single year. And we included that dance. So Neo ended up adopting the event. I went to Joy and I said, what would you think about Neo turning this into a dance-based fundraiser and keeping it going for Haven? My dancers are really interested in this work and I think I would really like to spearhead it and continue. So for two years, we gathered the entire Seacoast dance community. The second year, we... <laughs> had a snowstorm and we even had every single person 84 performers all reschedule seven weeks later wow. <laughs> which was the biggest theater nightmare puzzle I've ever <laughs> experienced in my life Neoteric showed up on that day and we were sitting in the music hall and it, the snow was just bucketing down and then we started getting phone calls like we can't make it and we were like okay well we can we can do the show without that piece it's fine like we'll just we'll make it work I was like we can't make it no okay and, <laughs> and when you when you're performing at the music hall you know that's a big theater with like
like a schedule and there are it it's literally in your contract like act of god <laughs> unless there's an act of god you have to put on your show and i'm thinking oh my god we're gonna lose our deposit like we're not gonna be able to do this show this is this ah and then shauna morris who is an angel who i grew up dancing in her presence at the music hall she is like miss music hall she comes to me and she goes okay we have a date in seven weeks don't panic do you think that you could get everyone together in seven weeks and i had been working on this for nine months already oh and was God. like i'm ready for it to be done today <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow i was going to be like I'm having a cocktail. It's all over. <laughs> and I was sitting on the green room couch and I took a deep breath and went, yep, seven weeks. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing. Started putting it out. All my dancers, I was like, okay, gather around. We're canceling. You go on social media. You call the dance companies that still think it's happening. Like you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram. Let's make a flyer on Canva and like put it out. And it's, it's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Come see us again in seven weeks. So anyway, 1 billion rising. We did that for two years. And then Catherine, who was heavily involved in that, she and I wanted to do something that was a little smaller in scale but more impactful artistically and we collaborated on a piece called Shelter which was a multidisciplinary show using music, theater, dance and film to tell the story, the genesis story of how domestic violence shelters in the United States came to be through 1970s grassroots activism, paralleled with a modern day true narrative of one woman's experience with abuse and going into shelter and going out of shelter. And that came from going to Haven and trying to figure out what is this show going to be about? And Lori Waltz Gagnon, who is the development person there, said to us, you know, when it comes to domestic violence, people think, oh, we have a shelter. Isn't that great? But they never see it and they can't see what's inside because, you know, seeing what happens there would shed light on the people who we need to protect. Mm. So it's really hard to explain to donors and to communities what the actual work is that happens. And we were so, so lucky that they gave us the green light with research. We signed non-disclosure agreements. We visited the shelter. We interviewed people. We interviewed people that work there. And what we were able to do with that show is really make explicit on stage what actually happens. Because when you walk through the door, that's just the start of the work. That's that's not the solution. And so many people who were in the audience just said to us, oh my gosh, that was, you know, I had no idea how much went behind it or what was really gratifying were people who were advocates in the past saw it and they said, you didn't make this up. You put our jobs up on stage and that those are the things that we say to clients. Those That's exactly the procedure and you make it all seen in a way that's protecting that very vulnerable population that needs those services and needs that so desperately in our communities. So that was a real 
real honor to do. And that was the last big project <laughs> that, <laughs> that Neoteric did. That was in February of 2018. And after that, after producing like 50 events, pretty much by my lonesome with a little help from Catherine Stewart and my dancers um, in five years, I said, okay, I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> That's amazing. Dance though. and social justice. <laughs> the end. I mean, <sighs> I mean, all the feels right now. I know. From all of that. I know. Like, that's so lovely. That's so incredible. I know. Thank you for doing those things. And thank you for spearheading those things that are super critical and needed. I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, maybe I think a nice segue would be, (laughs) you know, I really needed a break after that project because that was taxing emotionally and artistically. Mm. I spoke earlier about being an empathetic person and really taking a lot of that on. And, you know, that was that was a difficult project to put to bed. And and the thing about it, though, is that immediately there were people in the audience who worked at universities, who worked for organizations like Haven and other communities who said, can you tour it? Can you bring it here? Can you put together a touring budget? And I would just like shrank into the wallpaper like, no. I can't do it right now. I just completely had no capacity to do it. And somebody recently asked me, they said, what do you think is, how do you just are constantly reinventing? You seem like this constant well of creativity. And I said, well, first of all, I'm not. (laughs) Like I'm a human being and I crash just like anybody else. And I think for me, What's been the most important lesson out of shelter is that I needed a break and that it's okay to rest Mm -hmm. and that being productive does not necessarily mean that you are making good work. It doesn't mean that you are treating yourself well and taking care of yourself. And, you know, the whole cliche, like put on your own oxygen mask first, like, there's lots there's lots of social justice dances to be made there's lots of community building to be done there's lots of advocacy for dance to you know to be had but I really needed a rest and I'm just now coming out of that and I think that really exciting things are on the horizon because I took that time. Yeah. But I do have to say that my butt kind of got in gear because of this podcast. Yeah. Because of Matt (laughs) Wyatt. Because he said something to the effect of, well, you know, just keep making work. Like if you're not working, then, you know, you need to get your together. And I thought, well, I need to get my together. It's been like a year and a half. And Neo just had an event the other night, our first one in, you know, over 18 months. And we did a little caffeine and choreography snippet. And I created something new. I could have pulled something from the archive, but I created a piece of new work. And now I'm really jazzed to like expand upon that little blip that I did. So thank you. I am so friggin' happy. That is so excellent. That is so the mission of this podcast to spread the good word of creativity. <laughs> and that sounds super nerdy, but yep. that's okay. Just, you know, 
people doing what they love and making and sharing and having the guts to do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like what it's all about. So that's yeah. awesome that Matt and our other guests could reach out and do that and hopefully do that to others is super freaking awesome. Ah, mm. inspiring each other. Yeah. We did just get a mention on Instagram. Yeah. Two of our guests who didn't know each other before sort of like connected <gasps> because they were both interviewed on the podcast and now they're like friends and they're hanging yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, like, right now, um, Mike Durkee is um, painting a mural at the restaurant Nudes in Manchester, and Raphael Bastek, who is a writer, musician, artist, who's also on the podcast, uh, they connected on Instagram through us, through knowing me and Sarah, and then I think uh, Raph went there because he heard he was painting or something to that effect, and so... They took a picture together and sent it and posted it. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. They're both wicked, creative, awesome people. So who knows? Maybe they'll collaborate someday. Yeah. That'd be really cool. So fun. Well, people (gasps) can find me at Neoturic Dance Collaborative. So come collab with me. I'm all down for that. Yeah. You're like a collab pro. (laughs) I I try to be. I don't know about that. Those are big words, but (laughs) it's ever evolving. So we are going to um, downshift now into rapid fire questions. Awesome. I'm completely unprepared, even though I know what all the questions are. Oh, we're going to throw a few in there. Oh. Um, What is your favorite accent to use? Um, I, I love accents and I do a couple for funsies. Uh, so I like to ask people randomly that. So my primary dance teacher growing up was Yugoslavian. And so what? has this incredible, weird Eastern European, like, so oftentimes when I teach, if I'm being silly, I will take on this pseudo Russian Eastern European accent that my kids think is really funny and is probably very insulting. <laughs> Hasn't stopped me, unfortunately. I, I dressed up as, um, for uh, Halloween, my husband was um, Steve from season three of Stranger Things. and yeah, Incredible. Right? And <laughs> bloody I, Steve. Bloody Steve, after being interrogated, and I was the Russian who was interrogating him. Fabulous. <laughs> That's made great. the costume, did the terrible Russian accent, oh, and great. it was a home run. Oh, so man. Misha used to say, like, really just crazy shit to us when we were dancing. <laughs> like, for example, sort of like, you know, the insulting ballet master gymnastics coach, <laughs> but, like, he has got a heart of gold, and he's just trying to make you work harder. So an example of that, like, when we were doing Swan Lake, he was like, you look like a bunch of drowning Turkeys. <laughs> and then, so, then, some, then sometimes he would have to explain his like terrible insult metaphors. He's like, you know, when turkeys they walk, they walk in the rain and they put their heads to the sky and they're so stupid that they swallow, they swallow the rain and they drown. You look like drowning turkeys, not swans. <laughs> I adore that. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. We have a deep love for Misha's terrible sayings. (laughs) 
Do you have a favorite genre of dancing? Is it called genre? It is called genre. <laughs> yes, yes, just like any other type of art. Uh, I would say that my first love is absolutely classical ballet, but as an adult, I have really come to enjoy teaching Giordano jazz. And jazz is super fun. Very cool. Uh, Does that uh, intersect with your favorite music genre to listen to? Uh, I don't know if it does. I I don't know if I have a favorite genre of music. I'm a real audiophile. Like I will pretty much listen to almost anything. It, it there's a very wide berth there. <laughs> Even this crappy podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> Not crappy. Build yourself up, Just girl. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's the best podcast ever. It totally. is. I like listening to us after uh, we put it out there. So, so all right. This is a side note, but on the way over here i i've a couple days ago i started listening to the black tape (gasps) (laughs) i am like i was like damn it i need to shut it off because i gotta go in here isn't it so good it's so good i'm into it but you walked in so cheery (laughs) so sort of like sociopath It's so creepy. It's so creepy. Driving through like the back roads of Exeter, like and it's it's the the Simon episode with the the taps. Oh my god! Oh, I just got a shiver. Oh, this is really it's weird. so creepy. Did, but oddly erotic. Did you ever watch Star Trek: Next Generation? I know this is a weird segue, but but do you get what I'm getting at? So my husband is an enormous Star Trek fan. You need to give me a little more than that. They right. all blend together for um, me a little bit. So, uh, uh, what's his name? Dr. Um, Strand. His Dr. voice sounds like the actor who plays uh, uh, Riker. Oh. Which, oh. you know, is like the biggest man S- on the show. So, so. You, know, you know who I think Strand sounds like? Who? I think he sounds like a dime store John Hamm, which yeah. has me feeling all sorts I'm, of feelings. I can get on board with that, too. <laughs> I'm like you almost sound like John Hamm, but like not really. But I'm gonna pretend that you're yeah. you're John Hamm. He's and got, it works for me. He has got a voice on him. <laughs> if you look up the actor, though, he doesn't look like how his voice. He's got a acting reel on YouTube. Oh, does he? Yeah, which oh, he doesn't might, look like John Hamm. You might not want. I'm not gonna look it the up. Illusion ruined. No, no, I'm just going to think it's John Hamm. It's fine. Yeah, I think Riker, but I would rather imagine John Hamm now. that My husband is going to be ashamed that I did not know exactly who that was. (laughs) He's going to be like, favorite color, a kind of uh, orangey red, like the lipstick that I'm wearing. Nice. Very much like the red on your logo as well. I love it. Thank you. The one, the one shade of lipstick that existed in the 1950s for everybody (laughs) in the audience. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I like the flattery in there. (laughs) Just slid that in. Favorite taste. Hmm. I love food so much. So, so this is like, this it's is so hard. Real. I would say maybe honey. Ooh, mm. that's a great answer. Yeah. Some kind of infused honey, maybe in a cocktail. Mm. <laughs> uh, favorite smell? Something baking, like brownies, bread, mm. something baking. Feels yeah. like home. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite texture? <laughs> Cat paws. <laughs> my dog Jane's floppy neck skin. 
<laughs> he's a Matt. He's a, and it is a boy named Jane, um, which I will explain for the audience. Of, Firefly? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I just had my easy. husband watch that last week for the first time ever in his oh, life. Oh, my God. Which I grew up, like, I watched it when it was released and then canceled far too soon. And yes. I'm a huge Malcolm Reynolds fan. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. So I have a 135-pound Mastiff named Jane, <gasps> who is a boy. He's a, he's got boy parts and he's very muscly. Do you sing him the song? I do occasionally. <laughs> I knit him a Jane hat when he was a puppy, and there are photos, and it's really cute. I need to see them. Yeah, I'm gonna go stalk you after. So he's this big muscly dog named Jane, and yes, he so he has like the the like floppy neck skin, oh. and I love the feeling of that. That's one of my favorite answers of this whole thing. <laughs> favorite sound music. Yeah, that's that's just really and not like any specific kind. I I love music so much. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? This one I was thinking of. I did think of this. First of all, I would say you are not fat for sake. You are not fat. You know, stop. Stop just like talking about your body and stop like letting that put yourself in a box. You know, I'm not a person who has a lot of regrets in life, but I do think that thinking that I was too fat to dance, which I was not by any stretch of the imagination, kept me from going and doing auditions, from doing college programs that I was really, really interested in. And I am i don't regret where I ended up because maybe if I was in a super challenging dance environment, I wouldn't have created Neo and we wouldn't have like these conversations about what I'm doing. So I am happy with how my path went but I do think that I held myself back because of how I felt about my body so so much so yeah I would say that you're not fat (laughs) and that's something all of us do and it's it's ridiculous how tough we are on ourselves yep we're constantly waiting for the perfect body to come around because then when it does we're like you know gonna be happier or smarter or whatever it's just insane you know I never I was I've been very lucky. I do know many dancers who have had eating problems. I did not. But I look at old photos of myself where I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm just like this heifer. And I dance seven days a week. You can see every bone in my sternum, like, you know, a xylophone, because I was just working out constantly. Mm, Like, it was completely in my mind. Like, what an idiot. You're beautiful. Love yourself. Get over it. You know, all the things. It's interesting because when you were talking about sort of perceptions, public perceptions about dance, I think of like every single TV show or movie or whatever that I've ever watched about, specifically ballet, but dance Mm. in general, is always also about like anorexia. It's always about like eating disorders. And I'm like, that's just not a good rap for dance and for ballet. No, no. And, you know, it would be a lie for me to say that it's not a part of it. It is, but it's definitely not the whole story. Um, but um, we should get together, all of us, and be friends. Yeah, let's yes, do that. Please. <laughs> Where do you live? I live in Gonic. Oh! Which, by the way, it makes me so happy <laughs> that y'all are on the Rochester train because it's it's a thing. It is a thing. When I was in college, I wrote a paper about Rochester. <gasps> I know. Did. So weird. And now, like, talking to Matt and being, like, just totally, like, entrenched in this Rochester world. Yeah. Like, and also, in my, like, day job, my, like, first big project was in Rochester. And I'm like, I love Rochester. It's just so keeps amazing. coming back to me. Um, 
thank you so much for sharing your awesome story and your awesome perspective on dance. I can't wait for part two of your episode. <laughs> Please invite me back. I feel like we didn't talk about anything. <laughs> we didn't talk about couch to ballet. We didn't talk about theater. Nope. We didn't really talk about singing. No, nope. not one bit. It's all fine. Right. That's Next all, time. That's all going to be on part you two. Back. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> So we end every episode the same way, which you know. (laughs) So with that, show us your creative guts. Another huge thank you to Sarah for joining us in the Creative Guts studio. What an eye-opening conversation. I don't think that I was aware of how little exposure I had had to the dance world until she pointed it out to me. Mm-hmm. We could talk to her for hours, right? What a force of can-do, hilarious charm, and passion for making a difference. We're both smitten, and we will most certainly be doing a part two with Sarah to hear about all the other amazingness she is involved in. Stay tuned for the sequel. And in the meantime, if you want to learn more about her and Neo, you can find the Neoteric Dance Collaborative on the web at neotericdance.org. And I'll trust you to fall into the social media rabbit hole from there. You can find the links to her Vimeo, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. As per usual, we'll have lots of links and more on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash creative guts. Our Instagram handle is creative guts podcast. So if you're not already there, go find us. And our website is creativegutspodcast.com. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, friends. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Creative Guts. You want to just say, hi, my name is, and like just talk a little for testing? Hi, my name is what? My name is who? (laughs) My name is Sim Shady. (laughs) And we already have our blooper. (laughs) You set me off. I'm sorry. I'm also a huge music nerd. I love it. I can turn any sentence into a song lyric with a dramatic reading. When I'm at home, I love, I was a very early, ooh, I touched it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Party foul. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when you reached out to us, Mm -hmm. ooh, I touched the thing. Get out. (laughs) You're fired. I've listened to every episode. I'll take it from here. Listen. What's your favorite color, Laura? (laughs) Blue. Favorite texture? (laughs) She didn't do the cat paws. She's not me. (laughs) Yeah, you see, this is what it looks like. It's very fossy. (laughs) (laughs) Which, that is a great segue into dance for social justice okay well i just gotta say we're nearing rapid fire i'm oh, not gosh. even kidding uh, yeah. Laura. i am sorry we we have a bit of time but we've got to get there soon and that's that's why we need to do like part one two and three for most of our guests because tune like, in to part two of sarah's episode next yeah, I was week gonna say, this is like nothing this is covering nothing oh, i mean man. a little bit but so it's now you just have to come back yes you have to come back yes how the f*** do we segue out of that? <laughs> That's so amazing. Make them laugh, make them laugh. <laughs> we are recording. Welcome to Miami. Where did that come from? I was trying to think of a... Um...
you know what? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll take all night to explain my train of thought. So I'm just not going to. That's okay. It was just a random little tidbit for you. It was adorable. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's from like a Will Smith song, right? I know. I know what it's from. (laughs) 